Welcome to Bonafide, conversations in good faith about faith with Jonathan Storman. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Today we've had a national tragedy. Christianity, it's under siege. Study after study shows Christianity is not the force it once was. But we are going to protect Christianity. Even before COVID, a growing number of Americans were moving away from organized religions. The group called Religious Nuns has steadily grown. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bonafide Good Faith Conversations. Today I am here with my friend Zach who um, grew up at the church I am currently preaching at. How long have you been at BV? Uh, Since seventh grade, so gosh, around 12 years now, I guess. So, um, Zach, great guy, uh, went to Harding, which a lot of people on this podcast have gone to Harding. And then along the way... Uh, I got introduced to you because you were having a, a, I don't know, faith crisis. How how would you describe what happened? Yeah, I would say a faith crisis. Um, now I guess I would call it, I was in like a deconstruction type phase, but I didn't know that was the term to call it back then. So, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and now it's like, you know, that's kind of trendy and those kind of right. things, but... So it seems to me like doubt is something that happens to a person, and deconstruction is when you go on like an aggressive, you know, kind of like uh, chemo towards what it was that you have been taught. taught. Um, what Was that something, have you always been like um, cynical towards, you know, faith, religion, or maybe cynical is the wrong word, um, but questioning. Have you always been kind of a questioner? Um, to an extent, I think for the majority of my time growing up in the church, um, you know, I would have questions, but I would really suppress them. You know, I wouldn't. Tell me. Sure, go Can ahead. you tell me why? I mean, I, I get it. I, did, I think I did that too, but I'm wondering mm-hmm. where that comes from. Is that church culture or? I think part of it's church culture. Um, I think that a lot of the times I was told to be very careful, um, whether I was reading certain books or certain questions that I was asking. Maybe you're not ready for that or Hmm. be careful. You don't know what you're going to stumble upon. Um, And so I think I was scared. So I think that's why I suppressed it. You know, my heart would Hmm. almost start beating when I'd come across something that would make me doubt. I'd be like, oh, no, I, I need to look up like a quick Google search for Christian evidences or something like that to kind of <laughs> quiet down the questions. Um, so I think part of it was a church culture thing and just kind of this fear that was had been instilled in me, maybe not intentionally by anyone, but maybe they had fears of their own um, that kind of uh, led into that kind of thinking and environment. You know, I understand that impulse, but it strikes me as if we think this whole thing's hanging by a thread. Right. That it's a pretty fragile faith if you can't, like, inspect it or right. listen to the, you know, the people on the outside, which is part of, you know, this podcast, I'm I'm hoping, because I actually think that people who deconstruct and walk away from faith have some very fragile face of their beliefs of their own. And we've been able to do that over the past... A uh, few months talking. Well, you you started coming to you you hadn't even graduated Harding, but you had. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just walk us through your last few years from the time you started to do deconstruction to okay. uh, you know where it was when we when we started talking. Right, right. So I think this began the summer going into my junior year of college, and I was. I was sitting for a close family friend. Um, this guy was very highly educated. I really respected him. Um, and he was a Christian a long time ago, but I wasn't sure if he believed anymore. Um, so I was in his library, um, and I picked up a book by Christopher Hitchens. Um, it's God is not great. Um, and so I was like, I'll just read it. I want to understand, you know, kind of his thinking. I want to understand why he's come to this conclusion. 
And so I started reading and this is the first, this is the first time I'd let myself dive in to something like this. Cause usually I wouldn't, I'd be too scared or someone would advise me not to do it. So this is the first time that I allowed myself to kind of listen to the outside voices. Were you nervous? Yeah, I was nervous. Yeah. But nobody's in there. So no one's in there. Um, and at first he starts talking about kind of, um, how damaging religions can be and how people, um, have caused great harm. And that, that didn't bother me. Um, I guess because yeah, I thought, just you know, harm away, harm away. Christians. <laughs> <laughs> I guess people can pervert something that's good. That was, that was my thought thinking. Um, but then he kind of started thinking or talking towards, you know, you believe in the sky fairy. You just believe because you need him. Um, really this is this is an ancient way of thinking you know we're past that um really just in, like kind of insulted um my intellect and made me feel really dumb like i didn't know what i was talking about um and that was kind of the first it was like the shock to the system the first shock to the system and i was like okay i can either i can either dive further into this um because if god is real i'll find him in the end or i can suppress it some more um knowing that that question is going to keep coming up. Um, and so I decided, you know, I'm going to really dive into this because, you know, the truth is the truth. I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out eventually. So, um, from that point on, I think I ordered a bunch of books, um, like world religions, my, my plan, which this is a ridiculous plan. You can't do it. But my plan was I'm going to come to the Bible with, the best that I can, no biases, and just try to come with a clean slate and then just see what reasonable conclusion I come to, which is impossible. How Church of Christ <laughs> of you. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah. So that was the plan. And then in addition to that, I decided to stop praying. Um, and Well, that's a, hold on, hold on. I want to go into that a little bit. Sure. So sure. what the heck? It doesn't sound like those two things <laughs> go together. Like, uh, okay, tell me about what you're thinking there. This is kind of there. There are two parts to this. One is that um, at this point in my faith, even before the faith struggles, I had thought that I had, you know, almost become too structured or too almost like prayer had become too much of a habit, too much. There wasn't much there. Um, so I wanted like you're to praying to the ceiling. Right, right. Um, I'm praying the same thing every time. Um, as well as it was kind of a way for me to almost control things. You know, if I didn't pray, you know, something something, something bad might happen. Something. So anytime like an ambulance passed by, I would pray. And it was like my way of like doing what I could to control the situation. And so I didn't, I didn't like that. So that was one reason. And the other was just and part of the book by Christopher Hitchens, he was like, you could pray to a milk jug and you wouldn't know the difference. Um, and so that was another, I guess, kind of jumping off point for me to just like do this experiment, see how it felt. And the plan was to go a month and then a month turned into six months, um, which I did not expect that to happen. Did, uh, did anybody know? No. The, the first month? No. So you're just secretly not praying all to yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and are you you're at Harding, right? At this time? Yeah, yeah. So you're going to Daily Chapel and you're just like do you even bow your head? <laughs> no, I stopped doing that. Just look at Oh me. man. So like, go back so and watch the cameras. We're gonna go back and watch the cameras and see if we can catch right. Zach just, just standing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did, did you start – okay, so does anybody start noticing, like, hey, something's going on with Zach? I don't I, – I really don't think so. Um, you know, I did not tell – I really didn't tell anyone for a long time. Um, I was in a pretty serious relationship, so I, I did uh, tell that person kind of what was going on, but really didn't dive into any details um, and I, I guess part of me was afraid that I would cause other people to start doubting as well. Um, 
I think that was the main reason at that point in time that I didn't do that. And I felt like no one else was thinking what I was thinking, so I felt kind of alone in that sense. Hmm. Uh, Hold on. Let's pause there for a second. Right. Um, Since you've kind of come out of the closet as deconstructing, Mm -hmm. have you found a lot of other people? Like you realize you're not alone, or does this still feel lonely? No, it still feels pretty lonely, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, expressing it to, to people, they'll... They may say that they have doubts, um, but it seems as though they haven't really, it seems as though they've tried to suppress them as well. It hasn't seemed as though they've spent a whole lot of time really trying to figure out if what they believe is true. Um, and maybe that's just naive of me, but it has been really hard to relate to people um, since going through this. Um, one month turns into six months. Mm-hmm. Um, how old are you at this point? So 20 or 21, 21. Yeah. All right. What comes next? Not pray um, for six months. Right. So during this process, you know, there are certain threads that kind of unravel, um, or that caused my faith to unravel. Um, the first was just the exclusive, exclusivity, exclusive, you know what I mean, of Christianity. <laughs> um, I, I do it all the time when I'm preaching. Exclusivity. Right. Yes, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just the thought that, you know, I have all this information, so many religions, and somehow I'm supposed to absorb all of this and come to a reasonable conclusion, which if I was in a different part of the world, I don't believe that I would come to. Um, so that was something that kind of, um, threw me off. Um, as well as the fact that I didn't want to believe in God because I needed God or wanted God. I wanted him to be true. Um, independent of your desires. Right. Right. Okay. And so, you know, I was reading so many books um, from different perspectives, and they just, no one was agreeing on anything. And that wasn't what I was used, used to, because um, I guess growing up, people, it seemed like people were trying to convince me that this was airtight, um, you know. And so I guess the next kind of pillar to break down is the Bible, um, and that it is not as black and white, not as clear um, as I had been taught to believe. Um, Say more about that. I guess I started reading criticisms about the Bible instead of like criticisms for the Bible. Um, And so, you know, people just don't agree, you know. And that really, because I had been thinking the Bible was a book that, you know, fell, fell from heaven pretty much, inspired by God, written by God. Um, And it just no longer seemed like that anymore. Tell me what the criticisms that were like the most compelling to you were. Um, Probably the New Testament, just how... I mean, even, you know, the Gospels don't agree with each other. Um, you know, that was probably the biggest one for me. Um, as well as, like, the miracles and that kind of thing. You know, I didn't take them for mm-hmm. face value anymore. I didn't say, oh, yeah, feeding 5,000, that makes sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't make any sense, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just things like that that I wouldn't even take a second to think about we're now like that that sounds so weird like yeah yeah it's almost like i was reading feels like a fairy tale right it's almost like i was reading the bible for the first time i was like is this what people who don't grow up in the church like feel when they're reading this for the first time um that's a good question i i think um no 
I, I in my experience of reading the Bible with people for the first time, now possibly it could be if you know they're a, um, you know if they're scientifically trained or they have a a, a very secular eye for, um, you know the world is closed off from any principalities and powers or angels, demons. You know they don't think they think evil is all you know just there's nothing really um then they might feel that but for the most part when people read the bible um i think god actually does something but i think people like the reason i'm so interested in what your take is on the bible is because the bible has come up in every one of these podcasts Mm -hmm. and it's always um deconstructing a view of the bible that the bible's never really trying to get has never really trying to get give people Mm -hmm. but American Christians, more than more than our Western brothers and sisters across the pond and like Europe, American Christians have been like really, really. Um, I I don't know. They've made Bible into almost the thing of the Trinity that it's this, you know. And when you start to find out how it was made and and what it, you know, how what it does. How it's doing what it's doing, it tends to be a like accelerant for people who are already struggling. So, I, I'm just interested in if that's what happened to you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, and then I, I honestly I put it down. I put it down because, like I said, I wanted to come to this decision as unbiasedly as possible. And before I even got to the Bible, I had to get to Christianity, um, and so. I couldn't come to the Bible yet. And honestly, after listening to all these arguments and reading, I was just so overwhelmed at the idea of possibly having to choose one. Um, And then you go to, if you do pick Christianity, that at least from my perspective back then, that your salvation depends on you believing historical fact. And that really didn't sit well with me at all. You mean um, like the resurrection of Jesus? Right. right yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was, and during this process, I was so disoriented and like I did not know what to do with myself because for so long, you know, I had a community, um, a way to interpret what was going on around me. And then, you know, going from that to throwing that all away, you, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, yeah. What did you do? I got really depressed, honestly. Um, you know, cause I, I wasn't going to be a secular humanist. I knew that. Um, oh wow that is okay hold on I'm very interested in that because that tends to be like 95% of the time people go secular humanist and you've heard me say this before I'm glad because they share the same values it's just that your kids and grandkids aren't going to share those they're very vulnerable because they're all based in Christianity and anything else is postmodern chatter any kind of idea that human rights is based in anything else is postmodern chatter so go tell me why you're not a secular humanist um basically i just came to the conclusion if i'm gonna make up my own meaning then what's the point of not being a christian you know i'm i'm just i'm just putting meaning into the world so if if christianity isn't true if, if god isn't real everything's meaningless pretty much after that then and that's i wasn't i wasn't gonna pretend um, I wasn't going to pretend that something actually mattered if it didn't. Yeah. Um, so, man, what, you were just going to be a nihilist? I mean, I say that. I don't know if I could have actually done that, but that was my perspective. Just you know? kick kick old ladies and <laughs> rob the poor. and <laughs> I've been the worst, but... Is <laughs> that... <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was really hard to get out of bed because nothing mattered anymore. Nothing mattered. Um, 
And there was a point, I think it was at that kind of six month mark. Um, I was, it was late at night and I sat up in my bed and I like finally like admitted to myself, like, I don't believe in anything anymore. And that was the lowest point. Cause I was like, I don't know where to go from here. Um, and I think shortly after that, um, I started coming to Gen and Genesis. Um, sorry, I know this is kind of all over the place, but it's, no, no, it is. So I I have a Bible study with people who are um, nuns, but they're not, for the most part, nuns like you were, like in the sense of you you were there for a while. They weren't like their their questions weren't super intellectual. Um, not that they weren't smart, but they just hadn't read Dawkins or Hitchens or Nietzsche, mm-hmm. and. What was your experience like there? Um, I think parts of it were helpful. Um, you know, because we, we, we weren't really talking about the intellectual aspects of Christianity. We were talking about the practical, the more, maybe the more meaningful um, parts of it. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of more difficult to relate in that group because we didn't have the same questions. Um, but I did think it was a good starting point for me. Um, if I was going to reconstruct, um, to kind of realize the intellectual wasn't the whole story in this, in this journey. Um, sure. So, yeah. So, you hit you hit you know this point where you know you don't believe in anything you i remember the first night you come over you <laughs> our kids love zach <laughs> uh, we you went with me to a razorback game uh-huh. in fayetteville with all my boys and that was wild the whole that thing was, was <laughs> wild what did what did joel say about you he said something funny i can't remember what it was something about your face um, anyway, well, anyway, our kids are <laughs> a blast. But so you come over and you eat pizza with our kids before the Bible study. And at mm-hmm. one point, I ask you because, I, like, I, I've had these conversations a lot, and I think it's a helpful question. I asked you, do you remember the question I asked you? Like you asked, do you want to believe in God or something like that? Yeah, that's it. Okay. And you you said yes, mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I knew then, like, okay, I think you're going to be okay. Um, because, it, one, in the Christian tradition, that's enough. Like, but, two, there's a huge difference between I don't believe in God and I don't want to believe in God. And in my experience, if you don't want to believe in God, you're going to find all kinds of reasons not to, and there'll there'll be compelling reasons that you can tell other people. But, um, so then you and I started getting to know each other better. Uh, I think the first book I recommended to you was "How Not to Be Secular" by Jamie Smith. Yes, yes. Did you ever read that? No, I did. That was a game changer for me. Tell, okay, explain that because this uh, every episode of this podcast, I have reached for this book that's right behind me, Charles Taylor, A Secular Age, mm-hmm. and um, it is, you know, I, I think about this book all the time. I'm trying to, in these conversations, make it more accessible for parents and church leaders and 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 my friends who don't have faith anymore i want them to understand like kind of the historical underpinnings of why it is so hard to believe in god so tell tell people like in your own words what that book how it how it helped you um and what arguments you found like interesting or compelling right so going back to one of my first points of just christopher hitchens making me feel really insecure about my knowledge and that kind of thing is that he was telling almost a story of progress. You know, you're living in the past because you still believe in this God. Well, 
we've already figured out how the world got here. There's no reason to believe in God. Um, and so I thought, you know, Christianity and God and religion were an archaic way of thinking. And what this book kind of did was say, you know, the enlightenment viewing the world as a machine, um, that's telling a subtraction story. That's saying, you know, we started here and we're moving, we're taking away everything that isn't real. And this is just what's left, this machine. Um, and that's, it's not a subtraction story, you know? This is, this is enlightenment. It's an addition story. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and so this, this view of progress of, is actually maybe, maybe part of a mistake, you know? You know, maybe you're, you're not letting us see the entire picture anymore. Um, and so just allowing me to realize that I didn't have to sacrifice the intellectual part of the argument to believe in God was huge for me. Realizing there was a room for both the intellectual and the more experiential that really shifted the way that I thought about um, God. Um, so it really, it really, it really helped me a lot. Hmm. Well, man, I'm I'm glad because that's. I mean, I that, I think you're one of the only college students I've ever talked into reading that book. Um, mainly because you know it's pretty philosophical, even as a kind of. Uh, cliff notes of a secular age, right? But I, I think I think that's right. I think the the way I describe um, modernity and postmodernity um, to people is that you're enchanted. You're under a spell. You don't believe in magic, and that is the magic that has captured you. Like it is, and it, it you know. That hunting magic eels book that I think you read, and mm-hmm. didn't you get to visit with Richard Beck a little bit? I did. I didn't get. Never got to talk to him. I came and listened to him. Have you found any of those practices helpful? Like trying to reenchant your life as you consider how to find God in the world. Um, to an extent. Um, one that I've tried to take pretty seriously is is that contemplative prayer aspect. And I think we talked about that one of the first times at Gen of Genesis, uh, because I was kind of desperate for an encounter or an experience with God. Um, and honestly, I haven't really had a religious experience from that. Um, and maybe that's just still part of the attention problem, but I don't know, that hasn't hasn't been a huge help for me. Um, but as far as we had the conversation about practicing back to faith, um, and I have put myself in a few small groups where, you know, you did an alpha course, right? Right, right. Um, and so community has played a really big part of, you know, my attempt or journey to reconstruct. And I think that is the place where if I can say that I've seen God has been, is in other people. Um, And I can be cynical about that and say, you know, that's not God. They're just, you know, doing something kind. But, you know, I'm choosing to believe it is. Um, So, uh, let me say this. I don't know mm -hmm. if... um, how not to be secular talks about this part of Charles Taylor, but that what you just said is huge because he said, you know, we live now in a closed world system that we have created for ourselves. Right. That you know, we're buffered selves, which is a very rational, highly disciplined way of not interpreting any kind of supernatural in the world. Right. Um, other places outside of the West very much um, have spiritual encounters, both good and bad, um, and some unexplainable stuff that Westerners are often like, what in the world is happening? But in the West, we're pretty, we're pretty buffered and disciplined about this. But he said, everything depends when people are going through like uh, this sense of secular pressure um, on how they spin it. 
Mm-hmm. And he says, you can have a closed take, which is what you're, you were just mentioning that you were tempted to. Like, I see people and I'm like, that's just them being nice. Or an open take, which is you see that and you your words, I choose to believe. Um, I think are really important... And for people listening who have chosen not to believe, I think it's also helpful for them to realize that they have chosen that. They have they have closed they have a closed spin on how they are paying attention to reality, um, and they may you know have a good reason for that. Um, I would probably imagine it would have something to do with science, and I would argue capital S science, like scientism, mm-hmm. as a entire religion in itself, but. What you just said is important in the sense of like learning to be open to God. Um, so I'm sorry, I interrupted, but I I'm, I'm, appreciate this. Yeah, and speaking to that same point is I think something that I had to come to realize is that just because, you know, there is a way scientifically or empirically to, to understand how something got there or why something occurred, doesn't mean you know everything about the situation or event. No, there's other meanings. There's there can be other purposes of that that you know are a different kind of knowledge. Um, so I think I had to let go of the fact that I don't think that rationalism should be my ultimate you know lens to view reality anymore. I think there's another part of me that that can't um, encapsulate, and so that's. I don't want to let, you know, the left side of my brain, you know, control everything. I think there's room for both parts. And and you're an accountant, so your left side is <laughs> right. Is pretty on point. Right. I you know, I really appreciate that. I think that is true. The way one of the best metaphors I've heard to describe it is um, if you are an ophthalmologist and you look in people's eyes, you will see the same thing. But something different if you are a lover and you are looking into your lover's eyes. You're both looking at the same thing and seeing something very different. And I think the world as it is, is, um, you know, I've said often on this podcast, I see God everywhere. In Him we live and move and have our being, but this... This kind of secularism that we all live in—it's not, you know—it's not people who have faith are not secular, and people who, no, secular is a Latin word that means temporal or the immediate and in exclusion to heaven or supernatural forces and all those kind of things. Um, we are very disciplined with being secular, and ev- everybody is having to have these kind of like. I think it takes real um, trained affections or heart to be able to learn to experience God and part of those so um, can I can I run something by you I would actually yeah like you to read something else sure um, it's Chris it's Christopher West uh, a theology of the body okay and in it um, he is he's unpacking Pope John Paul II's theology of the body but here's one of the things Pope John Paul said in the 1970s in light of um, the kind of sexual revolution and, and, and what he was seeing modernism do to people. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but modernism and American civilization is a great place to live if you're a robot, but not a great place for persons. And so John Pope John Paul said the human body is the way God makes the invisible visible. That it is a sacrament in itself. It is the if you have if you know how to read the grammar, it is the grammar of God. And you know, like even male and female anatomy, like a man's body doesn't make sense on its own. A female's body doesn't make sense on its own. When they see each other, they're drawn towards communion together. And in the natural course of events, when a man and a woman come together, it leads to a third. 
And his point is that this is the nature of this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But it's a sacrament, right? And that's not just for spousal love and marriage. That's also for, like, every human being is inscribed with the grammar of God. And so what when I mean when I say see God everywhere, I mean part of what I mean is that. And so, you know, to to give you another open take on those people being kind is that is God reaching into the world to minister to people through people. You know what I mean? Right. Right. What's your take on that? Does that does that help enchant things a little bit more? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's it's difficult. I think one of the more difficult parts of the process has been a pride that developed over the course of the deconstruction, um, and that created and fostered a cynicism that I'm still fighting today um, and so any chance I have to develop or listen to you know perspective that invites God or something like that in to a situation that is easily explainable by scientific terms or easy to write off um, is helpful to me um, but that's, that's honestly, that's been my, one of my biggest struggles is the pride aspect of it is that, you know, if I can explain it, why do I need God? Why is, you know, why is he, why does he have to be a part of the equation? Um, I, I do, I think pride is the, the number one thing that human beings struggle with. And one of the reasons I led, I lead with that question, do you want to believe in God? Because I think when you give into pride enough, and this is, you know, I'm a preacher to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But when you give into pride enough, um, you don't want anybody telling you what to do. And I think... Human beings are not rational creatures like we think we are. I think that is a pretty pretty big myth. We are creatures driven by our loves. And what we love, you know, there's some great scholarship on this from Jonathan Hyatt, The Righteous Mind, or um, Jamie Smith, um, Desiring the Kingdom, or You Are What You Love, that when you have a, an affection you will come up with the mind follows behind and is like, oh, yeah, here's the rationale that you need to make sure you get what you want. And um, I think it's helpful just to know, like, we're driven by our heart, and um, and that's why I ask, do you, do you want to believe in God? And because of that, it seems like you're more self-aware. And Now, let me make a disclaimer because I feel like I want to be fair to my – uh, non-believing friends who might have already been on this podcast, and they're like, "Hey, we it wasn't it wasn't pride, <laughs> you know." I, I'm I'm not sa- I'm not saying that that's you know the case for everybody, but I am, I am seeing, and that's in my own heart too, right? Like, uh, one of the ways I've tried to do this podcast is just you know kind of pray before, get ready before, make sure I'm not trying to win arguments, but to have like respectable conversations that are um, helpful, helpful to people in church and outside of church. So when you said that you were depressed, one of the things that has stood out to me a lot over these podcasts the last few months is how a lot of this may, some of it might have been you know, initially, like you picked up the Hitchens book or whatever, but when it started to pick up a head of steam, a lot of my friends were like, man, we we don't want this. We're not trying to lose our faith. And they would, you know, but they also felt compelled to like keep pushing forward. Um, interesting to me is you were trying to like get into um, – Christian evidence, or, no, that was before. That was 
before you read Hitchens, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, one of the people who's been real helpful to me in this is that Richard Beck guy that we just talked about who I had come to PV. He was an elder at the church I used to work at, great guy, and he lost his faith. Um, was teaching at ACU, and he kind of reconstructed, and looking back on it, he said, well, of course I lost my faith. I was reading all this stuff, um, and it was all like acid that was just dripping on my faith. And that's great. Like, he's a very great intellectual, super smart guy, but he said, like, my attentions, my intentions and my attentions were being just saturated with this and so it was getting him to and and when he started like reading um the best of the christian tradition like thomas aquinas or augustine or you know carl bart or you know whoever um it started helping him have like ways of rebuilding that and i i i don't know if there's people listening who are deconstructing and find themselves where you were um, want to believe in God, but still want to be brave. And if, but if so, then one option for you is to read a couple of great Christian thinkers for every couple of, you know, people who are trying to point out American Christianity's failing or or whatever. Because mm-hmm. um, that seems to have been helpful for you. So Zach. I don't think I've ever asked you this question since we've gotten to know each other. Do you would you self-identify as a disciple of Jesus right now? I would. I don't know if other people would. <laughs> so if other people would identify you as a Christian, is that right? Man, I would identify myself. You would say I would say it, but I don't think I don't know if they would say it. If they were like super progressive, they probably oh, would. Well, welcome to my world, man. <laughs> so yeah yeah Um, yeah, okay cool so um, you are the second person who I've had on this podcast who has kind of worked their way back from non-belief to belief Um, and I I was just wondering where you considered yourself at I really appreciated you saying that you've been trying this contemplative prayer for man. This that's been like close to a year, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that you haven't really ex- had a religious experience at all. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that. Same for me. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of times I've sensed God doing something, and I've done it for over a decade. Wow. Um, and. There, but part of it is just being faithful to show up, and um, I, I, I would offer this encouragement. One, that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. There are other ways of you know connecting with God, but pay attention to what's going on inside your heart and in your life, because I have noticed over the course of you know, 10 or 15 years, I've become a lot more patient and less um, less uh, angry. Um, you know, just I when, when Leslie had her seizures the other day and we're in the hospital and I think she's going to die, the only person I'm texting is my brother Curtis, who's in the ER, you know, watching the kids and keeping me updated and Randy Harris, my spiritual director. And I told him, this is what we practice for. And that, that was true. Cause in that moment, that terrifying moment, yeah. it was okay. If everything falls apart, if I lose everything, there's a place I can go and be with some, someone who cannot be taken away from me. So, but that's something that, might is going to take more than months right um, right oh, that's, anyway that's a that's, that's a helpful what, so zach what 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 you just said is helpful you still you have a place you can go when if everything else falls apart that's that's helpful to think about 
okay, if you have my job mm-hmm. and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to raise five, my five kids, which, by the way, if you'd like to help, <laughs> we're more than willing to have you. <laughs> but, you know, you're trying to raise your kids. You're trying to help shepherd a church. What? What would you do? What rec- advice do you give me and any other pastors who might be listening for the Zach Otwells that are in our church? Um, I think the biggest thing is to be honest about personal doubts because, like I said, it seemed growing up that people were trying to, tr- were also trying to like hide something almost. Um, and I think a, fr- a very fragile faith was created within that. Um, and so encouraging people to dig into questions if they have them and not to be afraid to do that. Um, cause if I didn't have to answer every question that I had since I was 10 years old all at once and without, you know, a community, you know, it may have been easier if I had, could have done that piece by piece within, within a place that supported that. Um, I think, I think that would be the biggest thing that I can think of as well as, I guess, um, open to, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you would teach this, but like the how not to be secular thing, helping people understand that. There is room for both, both parts of my brain, both the intellectual and the spiritual. Um, and I, I don't know how you go about that, but yeah, I think. Well, last year I don't know if you remember this, and you might not have been at PV <clears throat> then, but I was doing, um, I was teaching through basically a secular age for a combined adult Bible okay, class. Okay, I didn't know that. And. Yeah, man, it was. It's not recorded or anything like that, and I know there were a lot of like, because <laughs> this. Uh, I mean, this is a helpful. So much of ministry is like trying to figure out which wire to clip on the bomb mm-hmm. to keep it from going off, because everybody's so different. Right. And a secular age is really helpful for people who are like having intellectual problems. Right. Um, not so much for people who are like dealing with. Uh, you know, addictions or a lot of painful suffering, you know, in their life. And, um, and, and for people who like have just a gift of faith and they see and experience God all the time, that's super confusing to them. Like, and I I had a lot of people looking at me like, what are you talking Mm -hmm. about? But they, I think they appreciated that faith is harder for their kids and grandkids than it is for them and their parents and grandparents. Sure. So, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, I I love our relationship and, and the way you've been so open-hearted to, and, but also not capitulating to, you know, you weren't pretending that you've had some kind of religious revival through doing contemplative prayer. And, um, I mean... I'm I'm happy to know you and I'm I'm proud to watch you kind of grow in the Lord. Um anything else you want to say as we wrap this up? Um I guess one thing that I wanted to hit on before we left is that one of the things that I have struggled with trying to reconstruct is trying to figure out what I'm trusting God to do. Um so I'm not trusting him to, you know, admit this is my perspective. I'm not trusting him to, when I pray that, you know, someone to be healed, that he heals them. I'm not trusting that everything's going to be okay right now. Because um, a lot of times it's just not. Um, and that's different from my faith back then, because I did think that. Um, so that's one thing that I'll, I just wanted to be open with. You know, that's that's something that I'm trying to figure out. I don't want to act like I reconstructed and everything's all good now. It's because it's, it's a challenge. It's a journey. And it's, it's not been linear. Um, 
but I did want to mention that. I, I like that. Have you got any potential answers that you thought of? What are you trusting God to do? One thing that I've kind of been kicking around, and this is kind of just, I guess, the Bible, how it talks about sin. Um, kind of trust, trusting... Um, I don't know how it explains sin and and how trusting that God wants the best for me and the things that he's trying to teach me or the wisdom that he's portraying in the Bible um, is what I need. Um, and I don't know what the outcome of that looks like, but that's where the trust, I guess, part comes in. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good response. I also think those people that showed you kindness... Um, allowing other people of God to speak into your life, especially when it's things that you don't necessarily want to hear about yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that would be another way of trusting. Um, I, these days, I think you and I have had this conversation, but these days the part about the Christian faith that I find the most interesting is the parts where we don't want to be true. Um or we resist it, you know, like, oh, that was then, this is now. Um, because throughout the years, you know, there, there's been so much resistance in so many different places, you know. And like Japan, the idea of forgiving people after they've wronged you is just very offensive um, because it's, it's an offense to honor. And, um, and so what do we do when those points of resistance come because uh, Feuerbach, who's this, one of the best atheists, said that all human religion is basically wish projection. Like you want a heaven, so you right. make you know make a God who promises eternal right. life. And I, ke- I keep an eye on Feuerbach with my faith mm-hmm. because I don't think Jesus can be just anybody we want. He already is somebody. Right. And Sometimes Jesus works best through his body on earth, which is his people. And so letting him have a word in my life that I don't necessarily want to hear, I think that would be a place that trusting God. And not from everybody. Not from the, you know, but from the people who genuinely have relationship with you and care about you and your well-being and maybe see things that you don't see in yourself. Those... I mean, I think that's how trust in the Lord kind of works out in a more practical way sometimes. I am I am grateful for you taking the time to do this. Yeah, appreciate you, man. All right, you too. See you, Zach. Thanks for listening to Bonafide. If you like what you've heard, please share with your friends and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts.